maybe see. Okay, I guess we're hot here. Uh, thank you, worship team, for getting us prepared uh, in our hearts to worship the Lord this morning with those beautiful songs. And thank you, Connie, for that beautiful piano music. So last week, Pastor Tony started a new series on Elisha. And we found that um, Elijah had been chased into the wilderness or ran into the wilderness. He was fleeing from uh, Jezebel. And he was in a cave, and God found him there. He was kind of in a pity pot kick. And he gave him some instructions to get him off a dead center. And he was given the instructions to anoint uh, Hazel to be the king over Syria and Jehu to be the new king over Israel. And for Elisha to take over for Elijah the prophet in his stead. So Elijah goes, and he finds Elisha farming, uh, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And Elijah laid his mantle upon Elisha, and he called him to God's service. Elisha said that, let me go back home and kiss my mother and father goodbye, uh, and I will follow you. And so he did just that. He went home. He, he slew the, the oxen and made a feast. He said goodbye to his old life, and he followed after Elijah. So God came calling, and Elisha answered the call. So that, in essence, is what we covered last time. Uh, going forward, uh, we're going to talk about um, where Elisha receives the anointing or the spirit of Elijah upon himself. So let's go to 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12. Uh, there's a, a spot here that I want to bring out. It says, now he's in this cave, and it says, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. But after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice, otherwise known as the Holy Ghost or the Spirit. Okay, so in modern day times here, after Jesus died, any of us who are saved receive the Holy Ghost at that time. And the Holy Ghost works through us and with us uh, to help us in our walk with God and to keep us strong for Him. For this, uh, for this to work, um, the Holy Ghost teaches us and guides us with His still, small voice. And it's a whisper. He doesn't shout at us. He doesn't beat us over the head. It's a small whisper, a little thought that's planted in our, in our head. And some of those times, he is instructing us to do something for him. And many times, we ignore that voice, and we miss out 
on being used of God for that particular thing. So I thought it was, was good to add in here something that would help us in achieving the most out of that whisper and being attentive to it. Pastor Tony a few weeks ago explained how as he was being raised that his father and mother explained to them what true obedience was. And it was to obey immediately, to obey all the way, and with the right attitude, or in this case, in a godly attitude. So when we hear that whisper, we should drop everything we're doing, and we should obey and follow that voice immediately. And if we do that, we can do great things for God. So now we're going to go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it says that, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now what happened here is uh, Elijah was sent by the Lord to three different places, to Bethel, to Jericho, and then to the River Jordan. And each of the times when he told Elisha, I am sent to this place, he said, stay here, tarry here. And Elisha all three times said, I will not leave you. Elisha knew that something big was going to happen, and he wasn't going to miss it. And even the prophets that were in the land knew what was going to happen with Elisha because he was going to be taken up and into heaven. So let's pick up here in verse 9, it's chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass when they were gone over, this is the river Jordan, um, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted and them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elijah went over. Now, previous to this, uh, Elijah had taken his mantle and they had parted the, the river, Jordan, and walked over on dry ground, just as Moses parted the Red Sea. This is the power of God that was at work over the spirit of Elijah. And now, Elijah is taken up to heaven. There's only two people in the Bible that are talked about that went to heaven without dying a physical death. Elijah was one, and Enoch was the other, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But he did actually die for our sins. So, when Elijah received, uh, Elisha received this uh, anointing, he received basically 
the Holy Ghost and the power of God within him. So Elijah parted the Jordan River, and then we're going to see that was the first miracle. And there's another miracle here. After he left the Jordan River crossing, um, he came to Jericho. And we're going to pick this up in um, 19. And this is chapter 2 still. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there. And said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. So apparently the water supply in Jericho at this time was, had dried up. And, you know, if you don't have water, you can't grow your crops. Uh, and basically there's no life without water. But Elisha took it upon himself to call upon God to heal those waters. And, and, it, and it occurred. So, now we're going to talk about um, a few examples uh, that I've seen in, in my life and how the Holy Ghost has worked through me. Um, and when I've obeyed, that still small voice. And years ago, I worked for a, a potato and onion farmer in uh, Wendell, Idaho. And it was about 6.30 in the evening. And I was in the field on my feet walking around. And there was another man who was tilling the ground, working with some equipment. And he had his young daughter who was four to five years old at the time. And she was in the cab with him. And she was running around in there. And he was having time with his daughter. And the next thing you know, um, I get a call from Blaine on the radio that he's rushing his daughter to the hospital because she had fallen out the back window of the tractor across over the PTO and the equipment that it was towing. And she was unresponsive and was not in good shape. And he, he and his wife rushed her to the Gooding Hospital. And I was along the highway next to the field edge. And I immediately stopped what I was doing. I took my hat off and I prayed to the Lord and asked, Lord, I just pray that as these two uh, take for their daughter to the hospital, that you would have a spirit of unity among them. Don't let them bicker at one another and point fingers of whose fault it is and just uh, be concerned about the well-being of their daughter. And when they get to the hospital, Lord, I pray that by the time they get there, that she will be starting to be herself and be alert, and by the time the doctor checks her out, that she'll be fine. And all that they'll see is that once they clean up the blood is that she's fine and everything's good. So about 9 p.m. that night, I got a call from Blaine, and he told me, he says, we were rushing into the hospital and we started fighting in the car about uh, whose fault it was and you should have been watching. And and 
Then Blaine said, you know, we need to just worry about our daughter. And so they got to the hospital. By the time they got there, uh, their daughter was starting to be alert. And they went in and they checked her out. There was nothing wrong. And that girl, I believe to this day, it was a miracle of God because she was not in good shape. And God answered the prayer in a very specific way. So praise the Lord for that. Um, another example was uh, a few years later, I was working for uh, doing garage doors and I had become involved in a jail ministry uh, in the Jerome County Jail. And uh, it had been about three weeks that I had been involved in it. And I was, I was not a leader, I was just coming along to kind of see how this worked. And um, I'm still in my work clothes and I went and uh, checked in to the jail and um, the deputies had already uh, gathered the people who wanted to attend um, into a separate room. But this night, the leader wasn't there. Uh, he didn't show and I didn't have any notice where he was, and the only one there to give the lesson was me. And I didn't have the lesson plan. I didn't know what, what I was doing. And um, so I went back to my car, and I, I prayed uh, for the Lord to give me the words to know what to do, because I was clueless. I was freaking out, to be honest. Um, so uh, I went back in the jail, and uh, we had a group of men there, and I started talking to them about about Jesus and about, um, about his love for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I told them about how we're born into sin and how we sin ourselves and we, um, we've broken the law of God. Therefore, we're condemned to die. But God made a solution for that plan, uh, for that, that problem. Lord, he sent his son to die for us and take our penalty of death on himself. And if we believe on him and we believe that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved from our sin and saved from death itself. And there was a young man there who was from Mexico. And it was really hard for me to believe that this man had never heard of Jesus Christ, never heard the name. Jesus Christ at all. And he received the message and I asked for anyone there if they had been, if their heart had been tugged and this man raised his hand and I asked him, do you want to accept the Lord today? And he did. And this man who had never even heard the name of Jesus Christ accepted the Lord that night. And that's another miracle because I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what I was doing. And the power in that room was from God. <laughs> so thanks the Lord again for that. So now let's, um, I'm going to go on here. Um, we serve a triune God. We have the Godhead three in one. We have God the Father. We have Jesus the Son. And we have the precious Holy Ghost. So... God the Father is the director. Jesus executes the plan, and the Holy Ghost works through people. So a way to look at this that maybe we can comprehend a little better is in a 
real world example of a, a business, let's say, if you have a, a chief executive officer, he sets the vision and the mission for that business. That's God the Father. Then you have the operations manager who makes sure that the vision and mission is accomplished. That's Jesus Christ. And then you have the workforce that actually does the work. That's the Holy Ghost. Um, so now let's look to um, oh, one thing that's interesting here. In, in looking at this uh, with our triune God, in the beginning of time, in the Garden of Eden, God walked with his creation. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And sin came into the world. And from that time on, we don't see God in the world. After that, we've seen Jesus show up in the Old Testament at times. In Genesis, uh, we see him showing up in, in Ezekiel and Daniel. And, of course, he came to the world as a man. And as he crucified and left, he sent the Holy Ghost to us. So now, here at work on earth is the Holy Ghost. So let's look at John 16, uh, 7 to 14. And uh, Jesus gives us um, some very specific information on the functions of the Holy Ghost. And keep in mind here, we're talking about the anointing. It's, it's the same anointing that Elisha received after Elijah left. Uh, however, he had a double portion. Okay, so 16, John 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So the three functions of the Holy Ghost, as he laid out, is, number one, it can fix unbelievers of their sin, which draws them to Christ. Number two, it points us who are saved to live righteously for God and to obey his commandments and his statutes. Third, the Holy Ghost's function is to judge Satan and wickedness. So... In 1 John 2, we see some more about the Holy Ghost. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 through 29. And it says, for... Make sure I'm in the right place. That's not the right one. One page over. Okay. 1 John 2, 20. All right. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. 
Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. So as Jesus departs, um, he sent the Holy Ghost. And as we said, it's this the last part to be active with here in mankind. Uh, in the Old Testament times, we see the Holy Ghost at work. And we see the anointing poured out over certain individuals in the Old Testament. Um, Moses, Samson, King Saul, David, Elijah, Elisha, the major and minor prophets, David's mighty men, Caleb, when he slew the land of giants at 85 years old, and the Gospels talk of a prophet named Anna in Luke um, when Jesus had come in uh, at his circumcision. And she definitely had the anointing too. So after Christ's death and resurrection, everyone that is saved has the Holy Ghost. We all have at least one spiritual gift. Sometimes we can have a temporary gift that we don't usually possess, um, which is called, quote, filled with the Holy Ghost or Spirit. As we know, in King Saul's case, he lost the anointing. And Samson lost it too. And it was due to disobedience because they were given specific instructions to fulfill the word of God, and they did not follow that. They disobeyed, and they lost the anointing. So in the same way, we can vex the Holy Ghost today. Not lose it, but we can put ourselves in a situation where we have no spiritual power until we get back on the righteous path and follow God's plan, His statutes, and live righteously for Him. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the spiritual gifts that come from the Holy Ghost. Um, we're going to see an example here in Acts 13. Uh, 6 through 12, Paul um, is filled with the Spirit and um, calls out wickedness in an individual. So Acts 13, 6. Um, 13, 6. And we're going to read uh, till verse 12. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, 
seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So, Paul um, was using the, the gift of discernment and miracles in this case, and he used it to call out the wickedness that was in that sorcerer. He wanted to deny that leader the, the gospel message. And it kind of blew up in his face because um, they did hear the plan, and because of the miracle that was done to the, the sorcerer, it made him believe and he accepted the Lord. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 to 10. Second Timothy 1, that's second, not first. <laughs> so verse 6, um, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our holy calling was giving us given to us before the world began. Every soul at conception has a godly purpose already planned for them. Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The enemy wants to interrupt and cancel God's plan for our life. There's a battle for our soul between Satan and God. So what's our offense against the enemy. We need to know we need to know scripture. The first line of defense is what? To become saved, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we do that, we're free from death. Death has no power over us. And we see here in I've had it written out for you in Luke 13:3. How do we do that? We have to repent of our sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So we have to confess our sins before him. And we have to believe uh, in Romans 10, 9, or well, let's, let's go to Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. 
Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And after we're saved, the next logical step is baptism. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Baptism is an act of obedience and it's a public proclamation to the church body that you are part of God's family. We as the body encourage them in the faith and warn them of straying from God's plan for their life. We have to build a support network if we want to serve God. Um, it doesn't work too well if we're the Lone Ranger and we're trying to do it all on our own. If we try to serve God in our own strength, our flesh is weak and we won't succeed. We will fail every time. Ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> so we have to build a support network. We have to uh, live by the strength of the Spirit. And we have to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Iron sharpens iron. We have to sharpen one another, lift each other up. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So we have to consistently be in the Word. Uh, be renewed by the transforming of your mind by reading the Word. We have to um, find an accountability partner, somebody who will tell you the truth, not what you want to hear. You need to be in prayer as well. So the bottom line here is all of us are going to spend eternity in one of two places, either with God in heaven or in eternal torment. So let's take a look at what that looks like, and it's not a pretty picture. In Isaiah 66, last chapter in the last few verses, and it says in 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. That's the believers. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So, if we don't accept the Lord, we get to look forward to having our body continually eaten by worms and burned alive for all eternity. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So, if you know someone who's lost and doesn't know the Lord, don't worry about offending them about the gospel message because you know where they're going if they don't have God. Have compassion on them. So I gave you a few verses here uh, you can look up for yourself about more about who Satan is and how he was uh, formed and made by God and what his function originally was and how he strayed from that. Um, so Satan is a form of an angel uh, named a cherub. And they're kind of funny-looking critters. 
they have uh, four heads and four wings. And um, uh, one's the face of a man, face of a bull or a cherub, uh, a lion, and, and an eagle. Uh, so a little different looking. But they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant with their wings pointing at each other over the mercy seat. And above the mercy seat was the presence of God, God's throne. And that's, that's described in Ezekiel about what heaven looks like. And the cherubs were the ones right below the throne of God. In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. 2 Timothy 2.26 says, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by his will. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. All the world has to offer is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three things draw us to the world and away from God. Satan wants to distract us with fleshly desires. Every time we follow our desires of the world, we end up broken, disappointed, and weak. Sooner or later, we will figure out that every good thing comes from God. James 1.27, the last part, says, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. To achieve the most for our godly purpose, keep yourself unspotted from the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world if we're saved and we follow Christ. God says in the Old Testament that he wanted the Jews to be a peculiar people, set apart, different from anyone else around them. That's what we should look like as Christians. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world. Following after the world will not lose our salvation, but it puts us in danger of vexing the Holy Ghost. This means he may be silent, leaving us with no direction. Accomplishing God's purpose in our life can only happen when we wholeheartedly follow God's commandments and statutes and will. This focus achieves God's kingdom purposes. So what's our defense? Well, let's look at Ephesians 6, 11 through 18. The armor of God. Most of us have heard of this many times before, but uh, let's read this. Starting in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we went over the, the support structure. You see in the next line there, consistent time in the Bible, scripture memory, fellowship with the saints, accountability partner, and prayer. So what's our advantage? Well, we see in Revelation 12, um, it talks about a woman clothed with the sun, and uh, there was a war in heaven, and basically what's going on here is Satan sought to kill the child of Jesus from the day he was born. And there was a man uh, in, there's a Jew uh, leader that named Herod that did the work of Satan and wanted to kill the child. And so he sought people to kill, kill him. He put out a decree so that any child born in that general time frame would be killed. But Jesus escaped. And later on, Jesus was uh, obedient to death on the cross. And Satan thought he'd won because he killed Jesus. And as we know, Jesus died. He laid in the ground for three days. And he was seen of his apostles. And he was seen of a group of 500 men. And lastly, his apostles saw him ascend to heaven. And as he was ascending to heaven, Satan decided he was going to take over heaven. And there was a war. And Michael and the archangel fought against Satan and one-third of the angels. But Satan lost. And he was cast out to the earth with his angels. So now, he knows his time is short. And he wants to attack us and, and divert any good thing from God. But we have the Holy Ghost to protect us and strengthen us. So in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, he says, Be sober, be vigilant. We already said that, sorry. Um, next page. So, death has no power over believers because Jesus conquered death. One of the biggest tools in Satan's uh, uh, tool chest to control us is the fear of death. But if we're saved, we have no worries of death because we're going to live forever. Not in this physical body, but our soul will be with God the Father in heaven. So beware of deception. John 6, 64 to 65. John 6. Okay, two verses here. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. So there's a lot of pretenders out there that claim that they know God, that they believe in God. Um, but Jesus reads the heart, and you can't fool him. We don't have the gift of understanding and knowing the heart, but God knows who you are, and he knows if your faith is true. John 8, 34 to 47. 
Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. They said to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father will ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. We can't do the works of the world and claim we're saved. In Matthew 7, it tells us about the fruits of the Spirit. So let's go there. Matthew 7. Fourteen, starting in verse 14. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You shall know them by their fruits. So let's take a look at the state of the landscape here in America. Right? It used to be the, that this was a godly nation. And uh, statistics say that there's a large amount of people here that are Christian. But when we look at the, the climate we're in, <laughs> it sure doesn't seem so. Because the culture tells us that 
homosexuality is uh, mainstream, that gender confusion is, is the new fad, and adultery and murder is running rampant. Every time you turn on the news, there's some new shooting, somebody getting killed. So what's wrong? You know, um, what happened to the church? Um, are we living our life to the fullest? Or are, we, are we speaking of God? Are we witnessing to other people? Because that's the only way this is going to change. It's not going to change by politics. It's going to change by you and I going out and sharing the love of God with others and leading them to Christ. Because the love of God is what, is what fixes this. So uh, Malachi 3.18 tells us, Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So God has defined for us what is righteousness. Those that serve God. And he's defined for us what is wickedness, those that do not serve God. So how do we make our calling and election sure? 2 Peter 1, 1 through 10, tells us. Bear with me here. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> okay, Second Peter 1, uh, verse 1 through 10. Now, in the first part of this, it talks about um, there are certain godly characteristics or traits that we possess um, that makes our calling and election sure. So those fruits basically, are faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity or love. If you have those fruits and those godly traits, you can bet that you are serving God. These are the fruits that prove your calling. So in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. The Holy Ghost that lives inside believers today is the same Holy Ghost that gave Elisha the double portion. Are we maximizing that gift inside us by living righteously for God and obeying his directives? Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, I pray that this message glorify your name today, that hearts receive this message that it would go forth and strengthen the kingdom of God. Lord, if there's any, any people here today that were unsure of their faith and want to make that stronger, or any person here today who has not known the Lord, 
Lord, I pray that if they're here, Lord, heads bowed and eyes closed, if someone wants to accept the Lord today, say this prayer with me. Lord God, I know that I was born into sin in a corrupt world, that I myself have broken your commandments and am worthy of death. I confess my sins, Lord, and I believe that God hath raised you from the dead to take the penalty of death upon yourself. Lord, I believe in your name, and I ask that you come into my life and be Lord and Master of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.